Awesome. Thanks so much, Joe. Well, good morning, Northwest. It's exciting for us to get together again, to be in the house of the Lord. And I want to say a special welcome to anyone who's streaming online right now. I believe there are some people right now who is from India. We say, hey, in India. And uh, in Ecuador, we say, I don't know how you say hey in Ecuador, but hola, thank you. And uh, some people from Scotland, how you doing? And there's other people up in North America, hi, y'all. <clears throat> This morning, I want to continue on with the series that we're doing uh, about uh, dreams. And it really, in the conversations that I've had with people since we started this whole uh, series, it's stirred up a lot of you in, uh, in, in all of the services that we have. And dreams are something that is very important to uh, have as a part of our Christian walk. And this morning, I want to talk about planning to dream, having a plan to dream. And we're going to be reading through Genesis 37. Now, it's a long scripture, but um, that's, that's okay. We will uh, read through this whole of chapter 37 because we're going to be talking about uh, Joseph. It's probably the most famous story in the Bible about someone who had a dream. So here we go. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, who was his son, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of Bilhah and the sons of Zippididudah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. <clears throat> now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that the father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I've had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around and then bowed down to it. His brother said, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. It's the third time they hated him. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you've had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to you to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, Fajah, he replied. So he said to them, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word to me, back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the field and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Oh, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. 
Come on now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his stupid dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Well, listen, let's, let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, Reuben said, to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers, they agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites and he took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there, where can I turn now? And when they got Joseph's robe, they slaughtered a goat and they dipped the robe in the blood and they took the ornate robe back to the father and said, we found this, examine it to see whether it's your son's robes. He examined it and said, it's my son's robe. Some ferocious, ferocious animals devoured him. Joseph was surely being torn to pieces. And Jacob tore his own clothes and put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and his daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. And we know that's not the end of the story because Joseph goes into slavery and then he goes, he, he succeeds and then he gets put back into slavery and then he succeeds and, and it keeps going on and on until he gets promoted to becoming the second most powerful man in Egypt. But what I wanna talk about is I want to talk about having a plan to dream. Because having a dream is something that should mark Christians out in society. A dream is very important. I want to look at the, anim, the anagram plan. And we're gonna talk about praying it out, let it out, act it out, and navigate it. And actually, I'm only gonna do the first three this morning, and I'm going to do the last one next week because it's gonna be about the challenges that lay in front of us in order that the things that, that come up to try and kill our dreams. But today what I want to do is talk about pray it out, let it out, and act it out. So let's look at this first one, to pray it out. In Genesis 40, it starts off right off the bat and it says that Joseph had a dream. Now, what is a dream? But a dream in my mind is sanctified imagination. A dream is sanctified imagination. It's the evidence of the nature of God that is already within us. Why? Because God sees the future. God knows the future. Is it simply because the, he has, he's got a Star Trek little uh, kind of device that helps him to be transported to the future, see what's going on there, and then come back and tell us? No, it's simply because God has plans for us and he's gonna make those plans happen. That's the future. So he already knows what the future is. And so if he knows what the future is gonna be because he knows what his plans are, he can reveal those plans to us. And when he shows those plans to us, we're getting to see into the future like he is seeing. In Jeremiah 1.5, God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. How could he know us if we don't even exist yet? 
because we already existed in his mind. We already existed in his heart. We already existed in his dreams. God has always decided that you were going to exist here today. So if God's going to give us the dreams, how do we get those dreams? We get those dreams because uh, uh, by, by being in a conversation with them. Now, I don't know what you're like, but I often get some of those dreams and they're like trapped between the world of sleep and awakeness, right? You're kind of groggy, you're about to go to sleep, you're maybe half awake, and suddenly you start thinking about things and you suddenly see things that you've never seen before and you get ideas in your mind. Does anyone get that? Anyone? Just me? Me and four other people. Great, we'll start our own club, right? The other place that I get it is I get it in the shower. And when I have a shower, it's like, I think God is like the horse whisperer with me. You know why the horse, you know the horse whisperer has to calm the horse down? I think that's where it's like, I'm like a stallion in a shower, right? Like that. And suddenly the shower comes on and I'm like, oh, I'm calm. And suddenly I see things. Now maybe you meditate or you do what, you know, on the word and you've got your quiet place or wherever it is. But the fact is, we have to be in a conversation with God. And if we're not in a conversation with God, then what do we have? We read recently, we read just there that it said that, um, that, that the father had sent the sons off to a specific place to go graze the flocks. But they went on from there and they went further afield. They went further away. And sometimes what I think can happen is that we can get caught up in the responsibilities and the jobs that we've got to do, that we get caught up so much in the things that we've got to get done, we get further away from the source of the one who gave us the instructions for our life. And oftentimes what happens is we stop dreaming because we're getting so deep and buried into the jobs that we've got to do. God has given you a dream already and probably he gave it to you years ago. But because you've not been stirring it up, you get buried in your work and you start forgetting the dreams that God had already given you. It's important for you to keep going back to the source and to go back to the place that God had already put you and stop going deeper and deeper into your job. And I'm not saying don't work. I'm just saying don't allow your time and your money to be consumed by all your responsibilities. Take the time every day to go back to the presence of God and say, what is it you're showing me? What is it you want me to do? It's so easy for the job and the responsibilities to take. It's easy for us to say, listen, that dream is wonderful, but really of all the, I've got, I've, got a, I've got a wife, I've got a husband, I've got kids, I've got a mortgage, I've got all these things I've got to get done. I don't have the time to live out those dreams. I don't have the resources. And sometimes what happens is we feel like our family or our responsibilities become a chain around our leg and we just get buried into that thing. And sometimes I've even seen people who have decided to break off that chain in their life. They've decided to walk away from that chain and say, you know what, I really want to go live, on, uh, live out my dreams. And they'll start rejecting their marriages. They'll start rejecting their families. They'll reject the responsibilities that God have given them only to find out that dream is not a good replacement for the joy that God has already given you in your family. I might be speaking to someone this morning. But more people I find are on the other side where they're so buried in the responsibilities they've forgotten their dream. It's important for us to fire up this conversation. What I do in my group is I actually ask all my leaders, tell me what your dreams are. And then I write them down on my phone. And every so often I'll bring them up and I'll go, okay, tell me what your dreams are. And they'll go, uh, 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 remind me. And then I'll remind them. And then after they've been reminded, they'll go, oh yeah, no, that's right, that's right, that's what it was, yeah, okay. And then you can see them getting fired up about their dreams again, right? Is that right? Anyone say amen that's in my group? No? Okay, everyone's in my group? Okay, awesome. 
You bring the apple pie, you bring, never mind. <clears throat> Where are we? I'm lost as a ball in tall weeds. Okay, why should we pray it out? We should pray it out because Christians must live out the God's plans. Christians must live out God's plans. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God has a plan for us, for sure. The problem that we find is, we have this plan and then oftentimes we, 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 we find that we go through trials or tribulations and somehow they get in the way of the plans that we have. Now, either a plan can be from God or it can be from us. And the easiest way to be able to tell that is that when trials and tribulations come your way, it can often manifest failure in your life. And when you have failure, that means they're more likely to be your plans. How is that so? Because if they're God's plans, I can't fail. It may not go the way I want it to go. It may not be the way I want it to be. But if it's God's plan, I can't fail because it's His plan. And it's not just simply because all things are possible through Christ. It's simply because whatever problem I have, I take that problem and I scoot it over onto God's plate and say, this was your plan. It's your problem then. See, if it's His plan, it's His problems. If it's his plan, it's his challenges. If it's his plan, it's his difficulties. They don't belong to me. I might have to go through them, but they belong to him. So I can't fail. So I take the problems that I've got and I scoot them over into God's plate and say, I will put up with this for as long as you want, but it's still your problem. It's still your plan. Does that make sense to you? And when you look at it in that way, you cannot fail because you're in God's plan. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> the way I've understood this best is that I really believe that Christ even had to go through this. I believe that what God puts us through, he doesn't give us, doesn't give us trials so that he can try and figure out if we're strong enough to succeed. He gives us trials to find out if we're trustworthy enough to be able to hand the glory, handle the glory he's trying to give us. See, oftentimes what we think we're going through is God's trying to see if we've got the strength to keep forging on through and have the tenacity to keep making these things happen. And God's just trying to perfect me in order to see if he can make me rich enough and strong enough and smart enough. Let's, listen, you're never gonna be rich enough. You're never gonna be smart enough. You're never gonna be great enough to do the things that God wants you to do. The things that God is calling you to do is way bigger than what you could do. So God is not actually trying to see, can you, amass, uh, can you amass enough resources in your life to be able to achieve what He wants you to do? What He's trying to do is figure out, can He trust you enough with the responsibilities that He wants to give you? Can He trust you enough to carry the glory that He wants to put in your hands? Hello. So all the trials and tribulations you've been going through is a test of your trustworthiness. That's entirely it. One of my favorite scriptures, which I probably should have put up on the screen, it says in Hebrews chapter five, uh, verse eight, I believe, it says, son though he was, talking about Jesus, son, even though he was the son of God, he had to learn obedience from what he suffered. And once he was made perfect, he became the, the source of all salvation to all mankind. What it's saying is this, that even Jesus had to go through trials and tribulations, through suffering, in order to be found trustworthy enough to become the savior for everyone. See, he had to go through the same thing too. It wasn't was, was hey Jesus, are you up to the job of uh, salvation and stuff like that? Uh, what's your resume like that? It's not, it's not like you had to try and figure out, are you capable of this? And he's like, well, actually I'm the son of, son of God and I made everything and I broke everything into being. So I think I can do all this job. That's not what it was about. 
It's a trustworthiness because when he became human, he was making the way for us. He was showing us how God works in our lives too. He's trying to find if we're trustworthy as well. Number two, let it out. Genesis chapter 40, verse five, it says Joseph had a dream and when he told it, that word told, I start looking at and I noticed there was three times he said told it. In the first dream, he said he told it to his brothers. The second dream, he told it to his brothers and he told it to his father. Okay, the first dream is this, when he told it, oh, where are we going? The first dream was, it uses the word nagad, which means to be conspicuous, to stand out, to, to uh, uh, stand out opposite, to declare. It means to boast or, or to be able to loudly say, this is what just happened. Not saying he, was, he had a bad attitude, it's just that's how he communicated it. But in the second time that he had a dream, he, used, he uses a different word for the word told. And it basically means this, to score with a mark or to inscribe. That means he drew something. Maybe he drew it in the sand, maybe he had some papyrus or, or whatever it was, but it uses an entirely different word that I think is really important here because he drew something. Quite a few years ago, um, many of you know Brian Browning. Brian, are you here this morning? Okay, good. I can tell any part of the story, right, because he's not here. Um, <clears throat> Brian, he's, of course, I've spoken with him and he's given me permission to tell a story, but Brian has been in our church for a long time and about maybe eight, 10 years ago or something, um, I, started, I started having you know, a, a good relationship with him and hanging out with him and he had, he had uh, lost his marriage and he was feeling very lost and then the economy crashed and he lost his business and he used to have a, quite a, a, a wealthy business. He had like 10 different trucks and bobcats and about 20, 25 people that worked for him. So he, had, he really was doing well in business and he lost it all with the, the economic downturn. And so he lost his marriage, he lost his business and really he lost his ministry in life as well. And he lost his house, he lost everything he owned and he had nothing left and he, was, he had a big trailer that he had just stuffed, stuffed in and he went from place to place. And so I had, a, um, I had a, an, another property here that I used my family and uh, I needed someone to rent it. So he moved in to use it. And so we got to know each other really well. And, and, uh, and, and I was asking him about, you know, what, what's your goals in life? And, and he told me a story of, you know, how he had come to the place that he was at. And so I told him, I said, well, tell me what your dreams are. And he goes, I don't, I don't know if I have many dreams left. And I said, rubbish, you do. You absolutely have dreams. And what I want you to do is I want you to start dreaming about it. And he goes, oh, okay, okay. And so Christmas came around. And what I did was I bought him a big post-it note and a pen, right? Because nothing says Merry Christmas like a big post-it note and a pen, Right? So I go on and I said, Merry Christmas. And I wrapped it up, right? And he had to kind of unwrap it. And they're like, oh, okay. So it's just a blank page. Great, wonderful. Thanks, Pete. Merry Christmas to you. And I said, what I want you to do is take the pen and I want you to draw your dreams on the board. So he's like, okay, you're a weirdo, but I can do that because uh, you're, you're my landlord now. So we'll do that. Okay. So what he did was he drew a ring with a, a diamond. And I said, Brian, you need to, you need to do a bigger diamond, <clears throat> right? <clears throat> so he had a diamond, and then he drew a plane like this. And then he drew a big dollar sign, big dollar sign. My pen's running out. And then he drew like a big kind of house like this. And I thought, oh, great, he's got a house. So he's basically, I can see what his dreams are, blah, blah, blah. All right, so you get the idea, that's... Whoever put those windows in needs to be fired, right? 
<clears throat> so <clears throat> I said, great, I want you to put it on your bedroom window and I want you to look at it every morning. Oh, new pen, Woo, upgrade. Let me upgrade you. Okay, <clears throat> so uh, this one's just as bad. Thanks a lot. Um, <laughs> so, so what happened was, uh, uh, so I, I, I said, I want you to put this on your bedroom window and I want, bedroom window, bedroom wall, and I want you to look at it every morning. So he did. And for several years, he looked at it every morning. And then one by one, all of these things came to pass. The first thing he did was he got a brand new business. That, oh, upgrade. Woo. Look at that bad boy, eh? Oh. That's why we pay you the big money, buddy. Right, so uh, now can you see it? Huh? Huh? Drawing's not getting any better, that's for sure, right? Woohoo! Like that. Okay, whatever. Uh, right, okay. <clears throat> right, let me limit upgrade you. Right there, right? So, so the, the one thing after another came to pass and what happened was he had an opportunity for a business and it wasn't doing well and it was failing, but he felt God told him to do it. And now he has a business where he has so many clients, he doesn't know how to handle all the amount of clients he's got. He's making great money, he's doing really well. Fantastic, check that one off the list. So then what he did was he said, I said, why have you got an aeroplane? And he said, because my daughter is in Norway and I've never been able to afford to go see her. Well, now he has gone on the aeroplane and he has gone to Norway and now he's checked that off the list and now he even has a grandchild there and he's got a reason to go back to Norway. It's wonderful. So now he flies back and forward to Norway, right? Because now he can afford to get to Norway. So then I said, what's the ring for? And he said, the ring is because I want a great wife, not just any wife. I want a wife that has got the same vision as me and the same desires in life and we're going to serve God together. And so finally, after much discouragement, he got a phenomenal wife, right? And everybody knows Cheryl. What a wonderful, sweet lady she is. So, now all that's happened. And of course, I had just assumed that this was just a house. So last week, what we did is uh, 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 we, we went to a banquet called Choices Banquet. And Rick and Laura are very involved in that. And um, they, uh, they, they run a clinic. It's called the Choices Clinic here in Orlando. And it's called the Choices Clinic because it gives hope to girls that are in a position of being pregnant, but it's a crisis pregnancy. And really sometimes what can happen, there was someone who many times, sometimes people will ask me, so what's your belief about, uh, you know, about abortion? I said, it's easy for me to pin my colors to the mass and tell you what my opinion on it, uh, about it is. But let me, instead of telling you what I believe, because it's easy to tell people what to believe, let me tell you what we do about it. What we do is we support this, uh, this um, a charity in Orlando where they actually give free medical help and free advice and free emotional support to young women that are in the position where they're wondering whether they should have an abortion because they can't, they're not emotionally ready for it, they're not relationally ready for it, they're not financially ready for it. Well, what if we could provide the resources to help them make great decisions in life? We're not forcing them to have a child, we're just giving them the support to be able to make great decisions. And that's how we have been able to see new children come into this city without them having to be aborted. And so um, we, we were there and uh, Rick, I think it was Rick and Laura, I think you did you invite Brian? And he told me later on, he didn't even know what he was going to. Talk about faith, right? So he just turns up, oh, it's a free meal. Let me just go, okay? So he turns up and he goes to his banquet and it turns out it's all about this. And then he came up to me afterwards and he said, this is amazing because this is part of my dream. And I said, how is this part of your dream? And he said, remember years ago when you told me to draw this picture? I drew a picture of a big house because 
the big building that they're now trying to buy and pay off is the picture of that big building that I drew way back when. And so he showed me this, he texted me this. That's the picture of the building that he had drawn. I said, I thought that was a house. And I'm like, I just, you know, you say, it says Martha building on it. I just figured you were naming your house like Americans name their cars, right? And apparently it wasn't. What it was is because years ago, his grandmother told him about one of his aunts who had gotten pregnant and she went for an abortion and it was so badly botched that she died. And it had affected him that he said, God gave me a dream to build a place that would allow young women to be able to come and be supported and not be given death on a plate, but to be supported to embrace life. And he said, does that picture not look like that building that they're buying right now? And now he saw a dream. Now, does it mean that he's the one that's bought the building or he's made it all happen? No, but God can sometimes give you a dream that you are in a partnership with a bigger dream. Does that make sense? Thanks be to God for this. God has given you dreams and it's time for you to draw out, to let it out, to get it out of yourself. Stop stuffing it down just simply because your brothers or your sisters or your family or other people hate you because they're saying, no, who are you to do this? Sometimes what happens is when people lose their dreams, they can't stand to be beside the people who do have dreams. And they can't stand to be beside them because your dreams are maybe coming to pass or because you've got the passion for a dream, but they have lost their dream and it can only end in bitterness because they're in disobedience to not keep following what God has called them to do. Don't shut up. Don't lay back. Don't step back. Let it out. Get it out because God has given you this responsibility to let this dream out. Here's my last point, number three. Number three <clears throat> is act it out. Doing is the difference between dreaming and fantasy. If it's just a dream that you don't do anything about, then it's just a fantasy. <clears throat> One of the things I noticed with Joseph was that in each situation he had, when it went from bad to worse, you don't hear him complaining about something. He didn't say, well, I guess the dream's not happening anymore. I guess I'm stuck in this cistern and I'm just gonna die. I guess I'm a slave now. I guess I've been accused of rape and everything's just falling apart. He kept his attitude in check. He worked hard and believed that if God said it was true, it was going to happen. So in each circumstance that he found himself, he not only praised God, but he trusted God to make it happen, right? Oftentimes what we can do is get stuck in a place and think, well, it's never gonna happen. And so we speak like it's never gonna happen. We act like it's not gonna happen. And then we get the attitude of bitterness like it's not gonna happen. One of the things I find with people is whenever I'm in a conversation, they'll ask me, um, uh, uh, where are you from? And I'll say, I'm from Scotland. And they'll go, great, that's cool. I'd love to go there. And then I always say to them, then you should go, right? And then they go, oh, I'd love to go. And I said, then when are you gonna go? Then their next thing they say is this, I can't afford to. Boo, just said it to the wrong person, right? Has anyone done that to me? Laurie Ellickson, I see your hand up at the back there, right? You did do that with me, didn't you? And I said, and I said, you can't go. Why can't you go? And you said, because I can't afford it. And I went, ho, 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 ho. Said that to the wrong person. I said, Laurie, do you have a dollar on you? And she said, yeah. I took a dollar. I took the dollar. And I said, this belongs to you, right? Yeah, it does belong to me. Okay, so this dollar, I could go to uh, uh, Starbucks or not Starbucks, because that'll get you nothing in Starbucks, right? <laughs> I could go to 7-Eleven and get myself some cheap coffee, right? That's what I can do. I have the power to dictate what happens with that dollar. And right here on the dollar, it says, in God we trust, right? 
In God we trust. So whatever decision I make for that dollar to do for me is what is going to happen with that dollar because I'm trusting God to make that happen. Just a piece of paper. And she's like, but a dollar's not going to get me there. And I'm like, you're right. It's going to be hundreds of dollars, but this is the first one on that list of dollars. Put that dollar and put it on your wall and you're going to tell that dollar you're going to Scotland. See, this is what I found. Is the more that we decide what happens with the things that God has given us, the more we become the magnet for other resources to come to us too. Not a babe magnet, a Scotland dollar magnet, right? Scotland dollar magnet, and this is the one dollar. This one dollar is going, I'm going to Scotland. <laughs> I'm going to Scotland. What about you? And then there's other dollars flying around out there going, oh, I want to go to Scotland too, right? And so I'm going to go over to Peter because he's going to Scotland with that other dollar. And the dollar flaps all the way over to that other dollar. Now I got two. Yes. Right? Now, this is not some hocus pocus, blab it and grab it, just believe it and receive it type of stuff. I'm telling you, you decide what happens to the resources that God has put into your life. Hello? Because there is provision out there for every vision that God has given you. Provision means for the vision. There is a dollar flapping around out there right now that wants to go with you towards your dream. A few years ago, I was down in Peru and I'd met a guy down there who was an American from Pennsylvania and I hadn't seen him for years. I, I, I knew him when I was a child because he came over to visit my dad, etc. And he had become very prosperous. He's become very wealthy. He was a home builder. And, and it was great just catching up with him and it was exciting to sit beside him, just chat with him, etc. And then I'll never forget, we were on the bus together and we were driving along and he sat there and he said, Peter, God has put us together right now, I believe. And so I'm here to ask you, what do you need from me? And here's what my answer was. I don't know. For several years, I kicked myself on that one. Do you know why? Because I had provision come to me, but I didn't have a vision to match up with that provision. There is provision out there. There are resources out there that are waiting for the sons and daughters of God to rise up and act like they have a vision, like they have a dream. There is provision out there. There are dollars. There are support systems. There is power out there that is waiting to come to you. But you have not allowed yourself to become a magnet because you keep telling God what you can't do. You need to start telling God what He can do through you and start interrupting His dreams. Let it out, get it out, and then act it out because every small resource that He's put into your hands, you need to decide that's the first step towards fulfilling what God has put in my life. Hello? Start acting it out and start letting it out. And if you don't do it, you can't tell God that He is not good, that He's not provided for you. He's put millions of dollars out there. He has put tons of people out there that want to support you. He has put opportunities and options way out in the world and they're sitting there waiting. Who am I gonna join with? Who is it that's going to Scotland? Who is it that's going to build a pregnancy crisis building? Who out there is going to build a ministry in Orlando? Who's gonna build a business that going to fund charities in this city? Who's going to bring people to Christ? Who are they? Is it you? It better be you. Because I don't want you in my church if you don't. I don't want to have naysayers. I don't want to have the brothers that mock this. That doesn't mean that you're no longer included. But you have to be a part of the vision of God. What is God telling you to do? What is it? 
Start saying it. Draw it out. If you need a piece of paper later on, give me a call. I got a piece of paper right here. And draw it out and put it on your wall and trust that God is calling you to live out your dreams. Let's stand as we end this morning. Father, we are so grateful for what you have given us. At the beginning of this year, we did a 21-day fast and right after it is when you gave us a vision for a new building. We prayed it out and then we let it out and we talked about it and now we're expecting to act it out. We're expecting that you're gonna bring it to pass, Father. We are gonna build something greater in this city through your power, through your calling, through your dreams. We get to be a part of it. And so Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that every person in this room would start to see that vision they once had, even if it's a child. See it, let it stir up, let it come alive. Allow me to be like a poker that's poking that fire to flare up again, to remember what God has called you to do. And then I want you to talk about it when you get out of here. Start saying, this is what God's called me to do. Here's my dream, let it flare up once again. Father, we trust you to do your part of this dream. Help us to become trustworthy to live out our part of the dream. And right now in the name of Jesus, we seal this with your presence. We seal this with our repentance. We seal this with your glory because we want you to be glorified through everything we do. Manifest your presence amongst us. Oh God, we ask you to fill us with your spirit right now in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. May God bless you and keep you and make your face shine upon you. Have a great day.